Okay, if you didn't get a handout on the way in and you want hard copy, raise your hand. Otherwise, the digital uh, PDFs are on the social links or you can get it at mbtkc.org and uh, you'll be able to get the, the digital uh, PDFs. We're going to pray and then we're going to get to work before I do, but uh, you know, I just, this is um, Lord willing as we ramp up to mission focus, whatever that ends up looking like, we're still working through the details on that with the latest restrictions. But um, leading up to focus, my hope, my trust is that you'll be able to see that that we're really at an exciting time in the life of our church. Uh, this, the, what we have before us is, if the Lord tarries, the work that is before us is far greater than anything that's behind us. And, and in order to accomplish everything that God has before us, we're going to need everyone being who God made them to be, fulfilling the work and the role that God has called us to. And so, uh, I'm so glad that you're here this morning, okay? I'm so glad that you're with us. Please uh, trust the Lord for His grace to, to be with us. We'll, we'll celebrate Christmas in a big way, but, but leading into focus, we want to make sure that we understand the opportunities to expand Christ's kingdom that are before us. For the people that, that helped us plant MBT, uh, that, was a, that was a challenge. We were a small people in a hard place. Uh, we can tell you the stories of what it took to plant a soul-winning, disciple-making, leadership-equipping ministry in the urban core. And God was so good to use the people who labored very faithfully. Now, not all of them are with us today. Uh, some, you know, they got their nose out of joint over some doctrine. They got their nose out of joint over some mistreatment. They got their, in other words, Satan was able to show them a reason why they couldn't die to their rights or they couldn't die to their expectations and help win souls and make disciples and train equip people for the work that God's called them to. Um, you know, the, the reality is, is the labor is difficult. In Matthew chapter 9, the Lord said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And now here we are in Midtown to make disciples in obedience to the command of God. And if we're doing that, the promise of the Lord is, lo, Matthew 28, 20, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, Amen. Okay, but if it's a labor, right, if we're bringing in a harvest, how many grew up in a farm? How many grew up on a farm? You know farm life. Okay, so there's a handful of us. Uh, the way the harvest works is the harvest doesn't care about how you feel. You can be sick as a dog. It doesn't matter. The harvest has to come in because without it, all hope is lost. Okay, whenever you're living the farm life, that's everything. That's your income. That's your livelihood. And so when it's time to bring in the harvest, it doesn't matter how you feel, it doesn't matter what you think, uh, you don't get to have opinions, you have to do the work. One way or another, the work has to get done. Um, you know, harvest is hard. It, it, it's blood, sweat, and tears to bring in a harvest. It's hard work. Now in terms of the harvest of souls, not only is that hard work, but Satan's always at work to make sure you know why 
your rights have been violated, why, um, you know, why you can't humble yourself and be a part of the work that God's called you to with his people in the structure of a local church. He's gonna make sure that you always see how your life is unfolding in such a way so as to discourage you from your obedience to the mission. You say, well, I'm not a pastor or a missionary pastor. Uh, what do you mean, my obedience to the, to the mission? Well, if you're a born-again, blood-washed child of God, you are bought with a price. You don't belong to you anymore. By the way, when you belong to you, uh, you were dead in your sin and you were separate from God and you were gonna actually spend eternity in hell paying that sin debt. Thank God for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to wash away our sin, amen? Okay, so we, we don't belong to us. We're bought with a Christ. We are to glorify God in our body and our spirit because they're the Lord's. God, if you are saved, you are bought, you are blood washed, you are redeemed, you are born again into God's family. You are now God's child, but you're also God's servant. And it doesn't matter what we think or how we feel, what matters is what the Lord said. And he's called us to a harvest. The problem is, very few people wanna work the harvest. The laborers are few. So what we're praying for all the time is workers for the harvest. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna wear the name Christian and not have God's power and blessing on my life. I don't wanna play church. I don't wanna be a part of a people who have a place to meet on Sunday and we just hold services because that's what Christians do. We hold church services and have what we're doing not fall out to the equipping of ministers, the equipping of every member for the work that God's called us to, and not have it fall out to the expanding of Christ's kingdom. There's a harvest that must come in. This is why God has us here in this place. So here's what we're trusting the Lord for. We wanna be a church that is used of God to turn the world upside down for his glory, and that has to start in Midtown. That has to start in Kansas City. Well, how's that gonna happen? Well, let's pray and let's see. Father, we come to you right now in Jesus' name, and Lord, we're praying that you'll open our eyes and our understanding. Lord, would you bless us as your people in this place? Lord, we don't want to play at serving you. We wanna be effective. We wanna be effective as a local church. We wanna be effective as individual ministers. And so God, would you bless the hearing would you bless the preaching? Would you, would you bless the ministry of your word over our lives? God, I pray your blessing on my brothers and sisters. I pray your blessing on the offering uh, that, you know, in, with COVID and the digital, um, you know, all the digital giving. Uh, Lord, it's just, again, amazing to me how faithful your people have been. And, and so, Lord, I pray that you'd bless the, the offering, but also the offerer as stewards, as co-laborers, as workers in your harvest. And Lord, that you'd be glorified in your people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, um, the, the, the sacrifice that it took to plant a soul-winning, disciple-making church at 40th and Walnut, that'll be nothing compared to the sacrifice that it will take of the members of this church in order to accomplish what God's calling us to in the years ahead. If the Lord tarries to be a, a, soul, win, a soul winning, disciple making, uh, leadership equipping, church planning church that's multiplying across the face of the globe, uh, that's gonna take great sacrifice. 
Uh, it's going to take a people consecrated in order to pull that off. Uh, people who are playing Christian will never get it done uh, because harvest is hard work. Harvest is discomfort. Harvest means labor and sacrifice. Now, the early church, okay, they turned Jerusalem upside down. And they didn't just stop there. They, they were obedient to the Great Commission. They turned their world upside down. So what did the early church have without, I mean, without mass transit, without mass media? I mean, what did the early church have that enabled her to be used of God to see everybody amazed at how God was at work in his church? In Acts chapter two and verse seven, they were all amazed and marveled saying to one another, this is the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is on God's people. Everybody that sees it's blown away, saying to one another, behold, are not all these which speak hillbillies? I mean, these are just a bunch of Galileans. The whole city was filled with wonder at what, was, at what God was doing. People were being made whole in Jesus' name. In Acts 3 verse 10, they see this guy, his life's put back together. This is the one that used to beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which, would, that, that which had happened unto him. Uh, in the early church, man, everybody that came in contact with these Christ followers, their lives were changed. So much so that by the time you get to Acts chapter 17, the testimony of the believers is these which have turned the world upside down are come hither also. So what enabled them to have that kind of impact and that kind of testimony? What enabled the incredible church growth in the first generation of believers? In Acts chapter two and verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized the same day that were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So once the church was empowered, 3,000 people came to Christ. Then in Acts chapter four and verse four, 5,000 more come to Christ, the number of the men was about 5,000. And by the time you get to Acts chapter five, so many people are coming to Christ, they just quit counting. Why bother counting? It's just, you can't keep up. And the believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. They can't keep up, so they quit trying. By the time you get to Acts chapter eight, there was a persecution that scattered the church at Jerusalem all over the civilized world. Most Bible historians, most church historians, will number the church anywhere from 40 to 80,000 members. Okay, it's just, it was blowing up in those early days. In just a few short years, uh, this church of 40 to 80,000 went all over the world and they turned it upside down for the glory of Christ. So how did they do that? What enabled them to stay so dedicated they got the job done? I mean, they didn't have anything that we have. No, no radio, no TV, no internet, no social media, no Instagram, no Facebook, no YouTube, no Rumble, no Twitter. How'd they do it? Moody makes a statement. Moody was ministering in the, in the mid-1800s and he said, uh, something to the people then that applies still today. He says a great many people are thinking that what we need, uh, that we need new measures, that we need new churches, that we need new organs, that we need new choirs, and all these new things. That is not what the church needs today. It's the old power that the apostles had. That's what we want. And if we have that in our churches, there will be new life. Then we will have new ministers 
the same old ministers renewed with power filled with the Spirit. Uh, how true that is, man. <laughs> we need people full of the power of God, full of the Spirit of God, full of faith in His Word that God is using in the lives of people. The problem then is the same as the problem today. Man never really changes. And you've got people who claim to serve the Lord Jesus Christ who end up spending most of their time talking at people instead of being used of God to change the lives of people. Does that make sense? Is everybody with me? What happens then is we make excuses for why the ministry doesn't move forward like it needs to. And so we you know, cite our need to be more professional or more polished, get our act together. Let's make sure our church looks right, it sounds right, it's got the right vibe. And the reason we wanna do that is we wanna make sure that when people come, they're like, whoa, check out this place, these people are so cool, I wanna hang with them. Uh, you know, you guys are, I mean, I'm sure you guys are super cool, but you know it pleases God to use a weak and foolish people. And for the people that come and visit, I mean, I hope they know that we want them. I hope we know that, I hope that they know that we love them. Um, but the last thing I want them to do is come in and just be comfortable. I want them to come in and say, God is in this place. Oh me, oh my, <laughs> you know? I want, I want people to come in and know that God is at work in his people in this place. So it's not so much are people coming in and are they impressed with what they see? No, when God comes into this place, is he impressed with what he sees? Because that's what matters. When God visits, is he comfortable in our service? When God is in the midst of his people who are gathered in his name, is he happy to attend here? See, the problem with the church at large today is she has no power. She's trying to through, I mean, you wanna know all the arguments, you wanna know all of the, all of the, 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 the apologetics, you wanna know how to communicate effectively, and, and if there's no power of God, if the Spirit of God is not on the work of God's people, it's all vain labor. The church today at large is spiritually impotent. And so who do we blame for that? Because in the word of God, the Bible tells us that we've been given everything for all victory. And if that's really true, if the Bible is truly the word of God and it's truly God's truth over our lives, well then who's to blame for the church just holding services? Well, I think the blame lies with us. The early church with Nothing but Jesus, nothing but the promises of God, nothing but the power of the Holy Spirit turned their city upside down for Christ. And they did it in a few short years. And then from there, their testimony was they turned the world upside down for Christ. Well, how'd they do that? How did they do that when they had nothing but God and his promises? See, I think that's how they did it. They were trusting in the right things. I think a lot of times we wanna live our lives the way we wanna live them. We wanna do with our lives exactly what we wanna do with them. Our lives aren't submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And then when we do try to serve God, it's through a way that's right in our own eyes. Whenever MBT first started, we first started doing the outreach here. I preach from Acts chapter one. Because what we said in those days is we want to trust God to be a church. Uh, we want to trust God to be a ministry, a, a soul-winning, disciple-making, leadership-equipping ministry that will rock the nations for the glory of God. Can we trust God as a little church in the hood to be a people that God will use to shake the nation for his glory? 
And by that, we'll know we've done that by the fact that when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, there will be people there who confess Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords because somebody led them to Christ and that person was led to Christ by somebody who discipled them, right? That person was led to Christ by somebody who was led to Christ and discipled by somebody who was led to Christ and discipled by somebody who was trained up here at MBT and sent out. And so whenever they get to the judgment seat, right, this person is giving glory to God in Jesus' name. They know the name of Jesus, but they don't know the name of MBT. They don't know who we are, but they're there because God used us. Can we trust the Lord to be a church that is fruitful, right? A church from the urban core that can rock the nations for God's glory. Well, Jerusalem, the early church, they were an urban church. They rocked their city for Christ. How'd they do it? And why is it so hard for us? Well, I want to tell you this morning exactly why, because the work that is before us is so critical, we got to get our priorities straight. we got to get our perspective right. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. I want us this morning to get two very critical truths that the, that the early church absolutely understood. The, the early church, they turned their city upside down. They turned their world upside down because they had a right focus on Christ's return. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 1, Lord help us. The former treatise, Have I Made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, after his death, his burial, his resurrection, by any inf infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So the first generation, okay, think about it. They saw with their physical eyes and they touched with their physical hands the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. They saw it. They saw it. They knew. They knew that Christ was alive. But today the church lives like Christ isn't alive. So you've got to understand, okay, use your spiritual imagination this morning. Uh, put yourself back with the early disciples 2,000 years ago. You're with Jesus. You're, you're agreeing with the whole city of Jerusalem that this is the promised Messiah. And what, a, I mean, what an amazing thing when Christ comes riding in on Palm Sunday on that, on that, that, that donkey, that, that, uh, the, 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 the foal of an ass, right? He's riding in on Jerusalem. And the whole city is shaking with the shouts, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They're calling him the son of David. They're identifying him as Messiah. They're, they're worshiping him as the king. And then just like literally a few days later, they're screaming, the same crowd screaming, crucify him, crucify him. I mean, everything came apart. Um, they come to arrest him, you get full of terror. <laughs> I mean, even if you're bold bragging Peter, right? You chicken out and run. Everybody forsakes the Lord Jesus, and they have this sham trial, and this guy that you've identified as the Son of God, God in the flesh, the Messiah, the promised Messiah, the, the Savior of, of the whole earth, you watch him get butchered on the cross of Calvary. 
and now he's in the grave. I mean, you saw the blood and water come out of his side. You know exactly what the Roman soldiers knew. He is dead. Okay, now he's in the grave. You're hiding out. And then the word comes that Christ is resurrected. To know that he's risen from the dead, to offer eternal life to them, well, that's beyond exciting. That'll blow your mind. You can't shut up about that. Okay, to have been a part of that and to have seen that, that would have absolutely set the trajectory of your life for the rest of your life, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? I mean, you'd never get over that. And yet today, the church intellectually believes that Christ came, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. Intellectually, we believe that, we receive it. But tactically, practically, we live like it never happened. We know it, we give assent to the fact on an intellectual level, but where is the life of Christ in the church? Where is the hunger for the reality of the living Messiah in the life of the church? Where are the hearts that burn with hearing the truth of God's word? You know, in, in Luke chapter 24, two of the disciples are walking with Jesus and their testimony is this, did not our heart burn within us while he walked, while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 gathered together, them that were with them, saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and appeared to Simon. I mean, I blew their mind. <laughs> the risen Savior, we walked and talked with the risen Savior. The Lord is risen indeed. Today we'll sing, he lives, and up from the grave he arose, and, and uh, what was the song we just sang? before we got in the Word together. Uh, in Christ alone, we'll sing songs like that, but not live in the power of what we're singing about. We have, we know according to Scripture that we have eternal life in Christ alone, but we shout about the chiefs. We don't shout about the living Savior. We, we, does anybody shout about Sporting KC anymore? Was that still the name of our soccer team? Nobody knows. It is? Sporting KC? Nobody shout. Okay. Well, we, we shout about all the wrong things. I'm ashamed to say it, but most of us, I, I'm just telling you, this is how people are wired today. This is, the, this is the state of Laodicea. Most of God's people today would get far more excited about winning the lottery than about who they are in a risen Savior and Lord. I mean, you, if you had a winning ticket, the big one, the Powerball, okay? Powerball is up to... 150 million, and you won it. I mean, you're a millionaire. You're set for life, big time. Are you excited about that? And you know, if somebody gives you a Powerball ticket, I'm just, I'm not saying buy one, don't waste your life throwing money away. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, but whoever comes into $150 million, uh, praise the Lord for that. You'll fund the missions work. Uh, next level, praise the Lord. No, you'd be far more excited about the fact that you're gonna be driving a, whatever it is, Lamborghini. People, people are more excited about what this world has to offer than who they are about, or who they are, than about who they, there it is, than about who they are in the person of the living, risen Savior. Most Christians only show gratitude and excitement over some physical satisfaction. More than that, look at, look at verse three again. Jesus was speaking of the things to them pertaining 
the kingdom, pertaining to the kingdom of God. So not only did they know that Christ was risen, but they knew that he had given them a work to do. They heard the kingdom call, right? Now today, we live like we don't know that God desires to build his kingdom through us. We forget God's heart. In Isaiah chapter nine, we see that Jesus came. Jesus was born, verse six. Why? For unto us a son is born, or a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. See, we forget that God is all about seeing lost men redeemed through Christ's sacrifice at Calvary. That God is not willing that any would perish that God wants to get the gospel to them through our beautifully prepared feet. We forget that God's called us to build his kingdom. Uh, we, don't, we don't think about it. We forget that we get to be a part of it if we want. We can build God's kingdom with them. First Corinthians chapter four, verses one and two says that we're God's stewards. And that's why of stewards, it's required that we be found faithful. So when you look at Romans 8 or 2 Timothy chapter 2, what you find out is if you're willing to take up your cross and, and enter into the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, if you're willing to follow Christ in the ministry of winning souls and discipling the saved, you're in the ministry of reconciliation. If you suffer, you take up Christ's burden, reconcile lost man back to God, and have a part in building God's kingdom, well, the way the principle works, if you help build it, you help run it. In Romans 8, it says, if we suffer, we shall also reign, right? We will be joint heirs with Christ in his kingdom. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, again, if we suffer, we will reign with Christ. If we deny that suffering, well, then Christ denies us a place ruling and reigning with him. It's up to you on how you want to invest your life. If you want to live it comfortably, pursuing a life for yourself, then you will not rule and reign with Christ in his kingdom. But if you will take up your cross and follow Christ, if you help him build the kingdom, well then he'll let you help run it when he sits on his throne. Okay, so that's a big deal, to know that God's called you as a steward to be a part of something that he's doing. But then more than that, look at verse nine. And when he, Jesus, had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you in heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. Okay, so they saw Jesus depart, and they believed that he was gone for just a short time. They saw Jesus, okay, so again, use your, your spiritual imagination. They knew what they saw. They knew what they believed. Today, we don't live like we know that Jesus is coming back for us. So again, 2,000 years ago, you're one of the disciples. You already know Christ is risen. You've been hanging with him after his resurrection for, for 40 days. You heard all the infallible proofs. You got the marching orders. You got the things pertaining to his kingdom. You see that you're called to take up your cross and follow him, to enter into the fellowship of his suffering. 
you exist to help as a local church to win souls and make disciples and, and see ministry multiply all over the earth. And, and uh, he just got done giving you all the marching orders and then he started rising up off the ground. And it's this slow-mo rapture. And he just keeps going up into the sky. I mean, you're, everybody's, are you seeing this? Yeah, I'm seeing, we're all seeing the same. He, Jesus is just going up and he just keeps going up, right? Yeah, yeah. And then he disappears into a cloud. Then two angels show up and they're like, what are you guys doing lollygagging, just gawking at the cloud? What are you doing? Don't you know he's coming back for you? So go get to work, right? I mean, how incredible a thing that would have been for the early church to see Christ give his instruction and then be raptured out and then to be told that he's coming back for you. In terms of the early church, that captured their attention. Okay, what about you? If that was you and you actually saw that, you heard the marching orders, you saw the slow-mo rapture, you saw the angels who said, just like he left, he's coming back for you. He's coming back for you. Go get to work. Okay, you would never be able to shut up about that, would you? Like if you actually saw that, you couldn't quit talking about it, which is why they couldn't quit talking about it. They knew what they saw, they knew what they knew, they absolutely, nobody could tell them any different, and so they were willing to lay their lives down for the truth. Now if you know the same thing that they knew, well then shouldn't that capture the very center of your attention in life? No, pastor, you don't understand. Have you seen that new Xbox Five? Wait, that's what they call it, right? It's the Xbox Five? No? What's it called? PS5. Well, there's a new Xbox. What number is that? X? Xbox 10? Xbox X? Xbox latest and greatest? Pastor, have you seen that new gaming system? Man, they brought it 100. Yeah, I, got, I mean, I gotta get on that. I, I, gotta, I gotta do that. We settle for such poor replacements. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 14, verse one. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. Christ said, God himself, the creator of heaven and earth himself said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I don't care how fat your, I don't care how fat your home is. I don't care how set your home is. I don't care how much time you spent with your remodel and now it's just perfect and you got the perfect view and your breakfast nook is just so great because that's where you, you have your coffee and your devotions in the morning and, and you just love your home. Your home is a dump compared to the place that Christ has prepared for you. I'm ready to sing with the Jeffersons. Moving on up to the north side. I know it's the east side, but Mount Zion is on the sides of the north. You want to move on up to the north side. Okay, I, you, you, I want to upgrade. But then the heaven of heaven isn't the mansion, right? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. 
The heaven of heaven is the fact that we get to be with the creator for all eternity. I'm gonna receive you to myself. That ought to be the thing that fires us up. And for the early church it was. That's the last prayer of the Bible. It's focused on the return of Christ. Revelation 22, 20 says, he which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly. Amen, even so come Lord Jesus. But we don't pray like that today. When was the last time you begged God to come back quickly for the church? Maybe the last time was when you were suffering greatly in the flesh, you might have done that. See, we don't pray like that, we forget. We don't live like Christ is coming. And by the way, if we get real, many times, in many cases, we live like we don't want him to come back. Again, use your spiritual imagination. The Bible says we have a bridegroom relationship with Jesus. So technically, biblically, we're engaged to the person of the creator himself. Okay, so now think about this picture. You're engaged to someone, your fiance is far away, and the promise is he will come back for you soon, but you don't miss your fiance. As a matter of fact, you don't care that they're away. You're engaged to this person, you're to be wed, but you don't miss them. Why is that? Why don't you miss your fiance? In every case, I'll tell you why. It's because you're looking at someone else, that's why. You're engaged to your fiance, but you don't miss them because wouldn't it be nice if I was with See, if you love your betrothed, if you love the one who is apart from you, then all you can think about all the time is when will they come back? When will they return? You're anxious for their return. You long to hold them, to be with them, to be able to touch them again, right? You gotta have them, and so you're anxious for their return. It's all you can think about. And the return of Christ is not all the church can think about. Why is that? A lot of Christians, they're quietly afraid of Christ's return. They're a little bit scared in their heart because maybe they love some sin over against their love relationship with the Lord. Or they say, there's things I, I wanna get for myself out of this world before I go to be with Christ forever. So for a lot of people, the way it works is like this. You know, man, I, I really want Christ to return, but before he does, because I've been saving myself for marriage, I'd love to be able to get married and at least know what intercourse is like, what it's like to be married, what it's like to build my own home. You know, I'd like to experience that and then I'll be ready to be raptured. And then for the people that do get married, they're like, well, I really do want Jesus to come back, but before he does, I'd just love to hear, Daddy or Mommy, I love you. That'd be so great. And for the people that have kids, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I get that. But you know, I would like to see my kids productive in life and I'd love to hear, Grandma, Grandpa, I love you. Once I hear that, well then, then I'll have everything that I need out of this world and I'll be ready for Christ's return. Man, that's because the affection of the typical Laodicean, last days Christian, their heart isn't on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's on themselves, what they can get, a life in this world, what they can get out of it for themselves. Can I just tell you, the best thing that can happen to all of us, the best thing that can happen to Kansas City is for Christ to come back for us. That's the best thing, for Christ to return. The best thing for Kansas City is for Christ to be sitting on a throne in Jerusalem on planet Earth. What the world needs now is Jesus Christ, but until Christ comes, the only way Kansas City is gonna meet Jesus is through the prepared, beautiful feet of the church 
to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And until Christ comes, we gotta recognize his work is to be in and through us as his people. So we gotta have power for ministry, and that brings me to the second topic. Okay, we need, a, we need a, an actual, real, refocus, a real focus on the return of Christ, but we also need the right power. We need to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, before he left, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. Go preach the gospel, make disciples, multiply ministry around the world. And he says, Lord, I'm with you. In that work, I'm with you. Now look at Acts chapter one and verse four. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. In Acts 1-4, here's the same great commission given, but we get more information. They're assembled, and he commands them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you've heard of me. So in verse eight, here is the promise of power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and then ye shall be witnesses unto me. You will, the word witness there is martyr, martos, right? You will be witnesses. You will lay down your life testifying of me both in Jerusalem and its suburbs, Judea. From there, you're gonna go cross country to Samaria. And then from there, you're gonna reach the whole planet, the uttermost part of the earth. So here's the command. You have to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit, but you don't have that power yet. So what do you, what do, you do? The command is wait for the promise of power. And waiting on God today is a lost art. We wanna be sharp or slick. We wanna, through our human ability, be able to serve God in a way that's effective. So waiting on God for the promise of power, that's a lost art. Lamentations 3.25 says, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. What a foolish waste of time it would be for us to assume that we can be the witness that God's called us to be in Kansas City without the, without the power of the Holy Spirit on our lives. You know, you can know, all of, you can know everything there is to know about the gospel. You can know all of the apologetics. You can know every argument. You can, you can take an atheist to the mat every time. But without the power of the Holy Spirit on the words that are coming out of your mouth, you are talking at people and the words of God are not penetrating their heart and changing their life. God promises us, as his people, power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you speaking, are you ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit? You know, you have the Holy Spirit at salvation, amen? A handful of people are saved in this service. I wanna invite you to receive Christ today to the majority of the service. Right. You, if, the moment you believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells your life. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, the Bible says, you have him. But are you ministering, are you serving God in his power, in the power of the Holy Spirit? That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said so in Luke chapter four. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. There it is. The power of the Holy Spirit is so that people's lives can be changed, so that people who are in bondage to sin can be set free. 
And that can only happen whenever you're ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have to have the anointing, Luke 4.18. We have to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on our lives for ministry. And if we're gonna try to serve God through our best human effort, what good is that human effort if it's in our power and our strength? What good is it if we haven't been empowered by God to do the work that he's called us to? In Zechariah 4 and verse 6, we find the secret. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, It's not by might, not, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So we got to get this. Okay, so the early church said, Okay, God's promised us power. Our laying our lives down, serving the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not going to accomplish it through our wisdom, our human strength. It's going to be God working through us. So God's promised us power, but we don't have it yet. So what do we do? They wait in prayer. Look at verse 12. They go back to Jerusalem. Verse 13, they go into the upper room. And then verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Everybody called on the Lord in prayer. You gave us a promise. We're waiting for it. Lord, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We're waiting for the endowment of power from on high. You know, anytime you have the promises of God's word, you see what they are, you see how God wants to work in and through you as his child, well, now you know how to pray. And you persist in prayer until you see the reality of God's word in your life. When you have God's promises, it's the height of wicked unbelief if you don't call on the Lord in prayer to receive that promise. This is why 1 Peter 4 verse 7 says, the end of all things is at hand, be therefore sober and watch under prayer. Be diligent. Colossians 4 2 says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Lord, I see how you want to work through my life, how you want to work through this church to see Kansas City turned upside down for your glory, but we don't have the power to do that in and of ourselves. So, oh God, we're waiting on you for the reality of your word in our life. This is why our Tuesday night prayer ministry meeting is so critical. Brothers and sisters, unless you're providentially hindered, come be a part and pray with us. Let's call on the Lord together for the promise of his word. We need to see it in our ministry. We need to call on the Lord for souls, for disciples, for the ministry to multiply. You say, well, I work on Tuesday night. Okay, you're providentially hindered. Trust God for a better work schedule. <laughs> join us on Tuesday night. If you can't do that, um, join us on Sunday morning. Pastor Grayshire, would you stand up real quick? This is Pastor Grayshire in the back, just right there, wave at everybody. He leads us in a short but intense time of prayer at 8.30 every Sunday. Your fellowship, your Sunday fellowship time starts at nine o'clock. Just show up at 8.25 so that you're not late. We'll meet in the upper room in the, uh, well, that'll be our upper room prayer ministry in the Balcony West uh, for any that can make it and pray with us there. Or if you've got Wednesdays at lunch free, our staff prayer meeting is from 11 to 12 on Wednesdays. Come join with us. Um, we need to call on the Lord together because everything that God's called us to, it's beyond our ability to perform it. Except God build the house. We're just playing at it. So they, they, respond, they responded in prayer, but they also responded in faith. They said, okay, this is what God's gonna do in and through us. We gotta get organized. They organized so that they could be effective in the promised kingdom. So verse 15, Peter stands up and he explains the problem. 
David prophesied, he said, about Judas's defection, his betrayal. And so we need to find his replacement, verse, um, verse 21, right? We need to find somebody that was with us in the entire ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, starting with John's baptism to the day that Christ was taken up. So they pick out two guys that are qualified. Uh, in verse uh, 23, you've got Joseph and Matthew, Math- Matthias. And so they put these men before the Lord, and verse 24 says, and they prayed and said, Lord, which knoweth the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he, Judas, might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, it fell upon Matthew. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Okay, what are they doing there? Well, Christ appointed 12 disciples. One of them is a betrayer. He quit and went away that was right in his own eyes and it led to his own death and and we need a replacement. So they found another apostle because they knew that God was gonna use them to change the world. They They were that much full of faith. So they had to get organized so that they'd be ready. They were that full of faith. They needed a full team. You know, some of you are here this morning. You weren't part of helping to plant this church but you got here just in time because there's some Judases that aren't here this morning. They have gone to their own place and they're not helping us to win souls and make disciples and train and equip people. You got here just in time, Matthew. You didn't know that, turn to your neighbor and say, hey Matt, glad you're here. You got here just in time because some of the people that helped us establish this church are not here to help us see it multiply across the face of the earth. You see that? I'm so glad you got here, Matthew. You got here just in time. Because we need you. The mission, the work needs you. So that's the question on the floor this morning as we close. What are you right now reordering in your life? Because you know you gotta be effective in the mission that God's called you to. What are you reordering in your life? Uh, Again, these Sunday services, they're critical. Tuesday nights, they're critical. Uh, reorder your Sunday morning schedule. How many were here at, how, under our, thank God for our new, thank God for our new schedule, amen? This is so good. How many were coming at eight in the morning? Um, okay, this new schedule's great, isn't it? Praise the Lord. You get to sleep in just a, a few more minutes. But come early, don't come at eight, come at 8.30. Reorder, that's a practical way. You could reorder your schedule and pray with Pastor Gracier for God's blessing, the power of God on our time together in his word. I don't, I don't actually have the ability to change anybody's minds, their heart, or their life. I can't do that. I'm, I'm actually not a very gifted speaker. You, you hear me. I stumble. I stutter. I combine words all the time. I'm just gifted enough to confuse everyone. But oh man, God can show up. And he can set the weakness of my flesh aside. And he through his word and in the power of his Holy Spirit can take people apart from the inside out and put them back together for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. God can do that. We have not because we ask not. I'm telling you, according to your faith, be it unto you. If we come together expecting God to show up and God to speak to us, oh man, that's exactly what will happen. 
where are the people in Kansas City that say, man, everybody that comes in contact with that MBT group of people, they get on fire for Jesus. What's going on with them? We will say to them, so glad you asked. Come join our Bible study. We'll, we'll explain it to you. God has to do that through his people. We have not because we ask not. How are you reordering your life? Are you in a Bible study with us? Are you in a Sunday fellowship? You say, I like getting here at, what time does this service start? 10.45, I like getting here at 10.45. Man, get up and come to fellowship. Join one of our fellowships. Get accountable, get plugged in. Um, you can go to the connections counter and find out where our fellowships meet. We just got, we just rented the theater across the street, so we're set. There's a place for everyone, there's space for everyone. The math just worked to, to, for us to fit in two services based on the number of people that have come back. You can put the word out, there's actually plenty of room in the second service. Overflow isn't full, right Pastor Morgan? We got plenty of space, there's actually a few more spots here. Um, <laughs> There's always room for one more. So let's trust God to be at work through his people. Financially, what's your life aimed at? Are you piling on debt so that, I mean, if you don't, if you don't reorder your finances, how are you gonna go with us and help plant a church in Boston and Vietnam and Dallas and Denver? How are you gonna help us to reach Kenya for Christ or Japan for Christ or Vietnam for Christ? How are you gonna do that if you're not ordering your finances properly? And they said, we gotta have Matthew on the team because Judas left and, and, and we're gonna turn the world upside down. We need, we need everyone on the team, so everyone's focused so we can do the work that God's called us to. I'd like us to bow our heads.